episode 202 jeremy ronick it's wednesday welcome to the show as always it's a cold rainy disgusting wednesday here in san diego and i can't say that too often it's uh it's this cold front it's been crazy we're um i said by the way i sent both of you a um a video of um one of my friends sent me up in pebble beach now you know i went to pebble beach in december and had a great time and we are we just cut the weather right right to the bitter end we got the great weather and after that it's been absolutely demoralizing up there in pebble beach but they were playing golf and the a wave came and literally came across the road onto the golf course and swallowed their their they and then is they this run. the golf yeah. course like it, it yeah. what am i looking yeah. at here is that a beach yeah. or is that the golf course it's it's the beach the rocks the beach then the road and then the golf course is on the other side so it's like within are the within bunkers filled third, with water is that what i'm looking at here well the, the, there's yes there's one hole that is on the on the ocean side of of a 17 mile drive oh wow now I'm, I'm seeing the second half of the uh that is they crazy the wave. the wave was coming at them and this this it's like you know between between that whole area between you know big sur and all the way up you know past um, it's washing you know, past away two golf three golf carts yeah yeah did you see the guys they they, they started They're, running they, yeah it was almost like it was almost like a tsunami in san francisco i mean pebble beach but isn't that nuts i mean what a way to what a what a way to time to to, I hope that's not the first time to Pebble Beach because that's their first experience. They get washed away by well, a that's wave. What, that, that was going to be my question. Like, how often does that happen? I don't think it would happen very often. What I'm looking at right now, it's like... That that, that area right there that that wave happened, it's, it's one of the most beautiful golf areas in all of the world. All of the world. Like The, the, the drive down, 17-mile drive with the huge waves on the right-hand side on the left-hand side is absolutely pristine, picturesque golf holes all up the left side. And right now, it's all just taking a beating with rain. I mean, I don't. We, San Francisco and even here in San Diego, we haven't gotten this much rain in years and years and years. They say when you're in warm places and you get rain, you love it. You love rainy days. Yeah. Um, but to this to this extent that we've had it here for like the last three weeks um it, it's it hasn't been so bad here in san diego but it's rained for two days straight here and people are freaking out it's like they don't know what to do with themselves <laughs> it's like okay that's enough it's enough rain well we had an interesting guest yesterday a guy that i think you know you two are probably carved from the exact same cloth and i don't think you i don't think you guys ever cross paths as teammates do you want us to tell you who it was, or do you want to guess? I want to try to guess because I like the guessing game on our shows. It's really good. Okay, so let's let's go with this one. Uh, number. Four. Well, let me get let me let me let me ask a couple questions first, so okay. I can kind of get okay. Um, what decade? Yours. Well, I played in three decades. So Your decade. decade. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just figure it out, buddy. The entire time you were in the league, he was in the league. Nineties, the exact same time that you were. 
Okay. He uh, came into the league at, in 1983. And I would say did, he retired. He retired a couple years before you did. Oh, wow. Um, so did he, is, did he play mostly East Coast or West Coast? Known for the East Coast, played in both. Known for the East, played in both. Mark Messier. No, negative. He has one Stanley Cup. He played almost. Don't, don't 50, give him too much. Fifteen too much games. You didn't have Chelly on, did you guys? No. Wow. Ask some questions, um, Jr. Um. Did he win any awards, personal awards? I would think that he He did. was nominated for the heart one year, for sure, but he didn't win it. Wow. I should really get this now, then. Um, did he ever play in Canada? Oh, yeah. Played for three teams in Canada. Three teams in Canada. He started. Don't tell him. Doug Gilmore. Oh my God! How did you get that? That we didn't give you anything, hardly. Why would you I say Dougie? It. Um, because you 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 gave me the the three Canadian teams, which is one thing. Um, and the one Stanley Cup with 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 Dougie, but um. I just, I just, I, I tried to think of somebody who, um, that if it was fifteen hundred games. I think it was the three Canadian teams that 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 got it. Wow! Was, and, 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 and 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 the time of, of that you said he started in, in the mid eighties. So wow! Hey, Killer is the best man. Isn't he? Isn't he such a good dude? He's he's so much different in person than he, when he played. He was a bastard when he played but he must have been a great interview was he a great interview he told he us was some just kind of and they were all in conversation like there was no digging for stories or anything you just brought something up and it all of a sudden just led to this unbelievable story like oh yeah for sure i, I asked him i said i asked him about the trade from calgary to toronto i was like that was like a, a 10 player trade wasn't it and he's like yeah five and five you know i thought seven players went from toronto to calgary but it was a five to five players five players and and then he told us how that deal kind of came about like, i don't remember what the circumstances were at the time but they were traveling and they were on the road and doug riseborough was the general manager and he said that he they had joining rooms so like his room had a door and there was, you know, the door, the hotel room on the other side. So he said, he's lying down in the middle of the afternoon and he can hear someone yelling on the phone through the door. And he goes up to the door and he's listening. And it's Doug Riseborough talking about how he's fucking going to trade Doug Gilmore. And he's like, and Doug Gilmore is sitting there. He said, he's, he said he was sitting there listening, laying on the floor, listening that's, underneath the door. That's unbelievable. What a great story. No pregame nap that week. That uh, then he said. Then he said next thing you know, like I don't know. He they, he left the team or said he was going to go and skate with Team Canada out because they were training out in Calgary or something. And then 
you know, he was traded a few days later or something. But anyway, the, just just a small example of the kind of you know stories we got. We heard the story yeah. about the uh, the cow legs. I don't know if you remember his famous picture with the cow legs for the milk commercial back in the day. No, yeah. no, I never heard of it. Thank everybody. So is it, is it amazing? Is, he's, ama- he's amazing how beautiful his teeth are now. Did he tell you? Did he even tell you the story when I knocked his teeth out? Did he? You told us that. Yeah, Fuck, I told you. We forgot you. to yeah. ask him that, Riv. Yeah, he. It's it, and he says it to me every time. I said, "God, you have such a beautiful smile, Dougie." And he's like, "Fuck you, Jr." <laughs> so how did that happen again? Um. We were we were battling in front of the net, and um, I gave him a, a little push, a push, and it slipped. And it might caught him, caught him in the mouth, and knocked all his teeth out. And about it knocked out, it knocked out three or four teeth. So say that again. And, you just gave him a tiny. Yeah, I, I gave him a gave him a gave him a cross check, and you know he's a little bit smaller than me. My my stick accidentally hit him in the mouth, and. <laughs> yeah, knocked sure. Knocked his teeth out. Um, yeah, him and I have had some serious battles, and you know he is—he is arguably the, the most popular Leaf of all time. I think Wendell Clark, being the, the winner of that, of, of probably of that popularity contest. But Killer is—he he walks around Toronto, and it's like you know the party of the Red Sea. You know, it's pretty. The guy is sick. He's sick. You know the funny thing is, is like he he uh he was in um he came to Toronto and just kind of like completely his career like skyrocketed popularity wise and everything coming from from Calgary where he won a Stanley Cup but um you know it's interesting like I played with Dougie at the end of his career and he was just it was very interesting watching him deal with um fans yeah and uh you know, he, he lived in a Canadian city where hockey is like, you know, religion there. And, um, you know, he, he, he couldn't go out couldn't go yep. out, couldn't go out to dinner with his wife. Couldn't go out to dinner with the boys. Um, couldn't go out to bars because he literally would get mobbed. It was just, mm-hmm. it was to the point where, you know, the people that are listening, like, well, you know, how, how bad can it actually be? Well, it was to the point where. He just couldn't go out. Yeah. It was not fun for him. He just sat and, and Dougie is very personable. He'll take the time. He's very much like you, JR. He's like cut from that old school mentality where um, you respect the fan base and appreciate because they're the ones that are paying your ticket and paying your bills. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, he just, as he got, as he got more popular, he started to pull away from the normal um, society of, you know, the boys going out for dinner or going out to certain bars that were really popular. And like yeah. the limelight was like unbelievable. Well, I remember, well, I remember him, you telling that story, how we invited you to dinner and you went to that, that janky place. You're like, well, we're going to dinner. And he's yeah. in the back corner with just the two, just the girls. And, I, and we I, mentioned I that last we mentioned that and he is the one who basically was laughing his head off going, yeah, that was my watering hole. Dougie is another one of those guys. Okay. Where we've talked about that, that had that really keen ability to be extremely, extremely successful and not really look good doing it. Right. 
Yeah, he was yeah, small. Yeah. He was he was smaller. He wasn't a great skater. He had a he had a he had a stride like this long, right? Yeah, His little short, little choppy stride. But when it came to brains, as his intellect, his grittiness, his, his mentality, his, com- his competitiveness, his yeah, his mentality, like he always had a face on in the game where he looked like he was pissed off all the time. Yeah. Even when, even when he scored a goal, he looked pissed off. Like it was that he was as competitive as anybody getting anybody's face. But again, you know, like we talked about Bernie Nichols and uh, Luke Robitaille, Steve Larmer, guys that weren't fast, pretty players that were so fucking good. And and just put up points every single night. Put Dougie Gilmore in that. And you know it's another good crazy story. When I got traded in '96 from the Blackhawks, I wanted four million dollars a year. That's what I wanted. Eric Lindros was making three and a half. He just he just just got in the league, um, and he got three and a half without even playing a game. I had scored fifty goals twice, hundred points three times, and I wanted four million from the Hawks. And they said you'll never make you'll never make four million ever in the league. As those salaries are crazy, right? So that's all I wanted. I went to Phoenix and made four uh, four million for five years that same year, ninety six. In ninety seven, just like like eight months after they traded me, they signed Doug Gilmore in Chicago for six point five million. And Doug <laughs> Doug was Doug was five year five or six years older than me. Yeah, five years older than me and they paid him 6.5 when they told me in my prime that i'll never make four yeah kind of fucking mentality is that well i mean it sounded like it sounded like a seemed like a spite signing i I think i i I think that was a oh we fucked up bad now we have to try to make it up and it's going to cost us but can we all can we all go back and just praise the big E because do you not think that Eric Lindros was the one that absolutely elevated to a no, different stratosphere? The, no, the, the, the top players in the league. No, the, he is the, not one of, he is the person that changed the whole dynamic and course of the national hockey league in the salary scale. Because when Eric Lindros came, was drafted, and he went through, he was the icon. He was the icon since Mario, right? Yeah. So you know you've had you've had these generational drafts, right? Everybody was looking for Mario. You know, Gretz really wasn't that guy because he came from the WHL. But Mario sat in the stands when Quebec drafted him and said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not coming." Lindros in 90, 93, I think it was in ninety three, ninety two, ninety three. He goes, he sat in the stands and goes, I'm not going to Quebec. He dictated where he was going to go. But what happened that year, Riv, is they got rid of sal- salary disclosure, right? And when they got rid of salary disclosure, there was two things that that did. It allowed all of the players to see what all the other players were making, right? Yeah. Which everybody got, everybody got pissed off at Ray Bork because Ray Bork, who is the best defenseman in the game, was one of the lowest paid players in the game because he kept giving the Boston Bruins deals. A hometown discount. Hometown discount. And it pissed everybody off because nobody can make more than Ray Bork because he was making like $500,000 in 1992 or whatever the case 
this was, was, and salary disclosure screwed a lot of top defensemen because of Ray Borg. But when Lindros came in, he said, I want three, three million, at least three million. He hadn't even played a game. And I think in 1993 or 92, you had Mark Messier was making 1.5, right? And he was 94. He was the, the MVP of the league. He was making 1.5. And here you have Eric Lindros not playing a game, made $3 million. And all of a sudden, Gretz started making it. Mess started making it. Eisenman started making it. And then the salaries just took off because. Well, didn't they start going like, I remember at that time, Eric Lindros, it was just, it was absolutely <clears throat> overwhelming that he walked in, hadn't played a game in the National Hockey League, and his first uh, salary was $3 million. Okay. Three, $3 million bucks. Yep. And now all of a sudden, like you said, other players around the league were starting to see what their market was because they're yeah. comparing themselves to other players in the league. And yeah. you had yeah. some guys that were sitting there with big smiles on them, on their yeah. faces saying, Hey, yeah. I'm actually paid pretty well. And then there was other stars that were so furious and so upset because they were getting so underpaid. But I remember at that time, that's when guys like Gretzky, Messier, they started to really start yeah. to take on some good cha-ching yeah. and making, they were making what seven, $8 million. Because yeah, if you have yeah. this rookie who hasn't played a game in the league yet in Eric Lindros exactly right. making three Gretzky walked in and the guys like Messier walked in, they, they set a new bar and really raised. That's it. why that's, that's why I wanted four. I mean, my last contract that I made, I was making 1.7. This is a 95. So I was making 1.7 in 95. I wanted four because Lindros was making three and he just got in the league. And I told you I'd scored 250 goals, 300 point seasons. I was in my prime. And really, I wanted to go from one seven to four. And there's players making more than that, but that's what I wanted. And they wouldn't do it. And it got into this big, big argument. And, you know, next thing you know, I got traded. But that salary disclosure, a lot of people don't know that players and agents could not disclose. It was a rule. It was a league rule. Like you would get you would get fined if you were caught telling another agent or telling somebody else what your salary was like the national hockey league really controlled that aspect of the salary structure which benefited them so when they got rid of salary disclosure you know see you later it's it, it got crazy and eric lindros was the start because he made three million before he even played a game he was making more than wayne gretzky and mark messier almost combined I had no idea about this. I'm looking up uh, Eric Lindros's contract right now as we speak. I had no, I had no idea about that. Eric Lindros was the one that blew the doors open on this. I, I just, I remember hearing about salary disclosure and then how players, obviously, you know, found out what other players were making, and then that kind of changed everything. I remember hearing that. It might have even been from you guys talking about it before, but I don't think I knew that Lindros was making that much money as he came into the league. Yep. Like 3.5, yep. 3.5. So his first three years in the league, he was making average over th just over 3 million. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. He's, he, he made more, he made more in his first games than any, any top end rookie coming in now, because obviously the salary, a rookie salary contract, but you know, Lindros just said, I'm not playing. And he was the icon. He was a generational player. He was the biggest draft choice since Mario what? Lemieux.
listen, and I mean, we were, we, Doug, um, Jer, we were at dinner last night, Petey and I, we, uh, the after the whistle uh, crew got auctioned off for uh, a little charity dinner. And uh, yeah, thank you to chefs, by the way, for, yeah. for hosting that oh, and putting it on and ta- Tom for buying everything. Sounds great. It sounds like a great time. Yeah. The what, what, what did I have there, Petey? What's your what's your go to? The, the uh, rig- rigatoni parm. But the it, is it double baked, right? It's got the cheese on top. That's just kind of like a little crispy. Looks there, like someone took it cr- crispy. It's just like someone took a blowtorch to it, Jr. It was absolutely oh, delicious, awesome. right? I sounds ate. Like heart, I'm not kidding you. Heart attack on a plate. Sounds. I awesome. feel bad for the. I feel bad for chefs. Like I'm like really taking them to the cleaners, but I must have ate a loaf of bread. Their bread is like literally <laughs> fluffy, beautiful, delicious. Warm, and dipping it warm. in their sauce. I'm like warm, Jr. Jr. Listen, you don't even have to chew it. You just suck on it, and it dissipates in your mouth it's gone but anyway we were we were at this dinner last night and we were actually talking about we we got into a discussion about jack eichel obviously and talking about um connor mcdavid as you know one of the one of the greatest first round draft picks you know with all this hype and they started to ask about connor bedard who's got quite a following with what's happened at the world juniors and what he's doing in junior hockey and we started to get on to like who has been the most recognizable first round draft pick ever. And it was like Petey and I looked at each other and it's like undeniable. Like it is undeniable. everybody talks about Connor McDavid and they talk about all these first first overall picks. Eric Lindros coming into the National Hockey League was the biggest, biggest. news for multiple years before he even got there because yep. when he was 14 years old he was still six foot three 205 pounds dude you, you know? don't see you don't see hockey players built in the size of eric lindros yes play play the game that way which is why mario was so was so uh, unbelievable right because of his size yeah uh, just just absolute freaks freaks of nature um, I would have loved to have seen what Eric Lindros would have, if he would have played a whole career, if, if he, you know, if he didn't, if, if he got out of that habit of coming through neutral ice with his head down, like he did all the time and in well, his career, you could kind of say if he didn't play in that era, because I yes. mean, he, yes. he went up against guys that, um, as much as Eric Lindros was six, four, 245 pounds, and he was the craziest beast on skates that I have ever witnessed. Okay. Um, he was scary because he, not only was he big and powerful, he was mean and he was insanely skilled. Okay. So he did, he had literally the entire full package, but he also played against guys that were even meaner than he was guys that wanted to hurt you guys like Darius Kasparitis. Okay. Hey, by the way, I can't believe you just said that because I did a podcast last week and somebody said, who was the one defenseman that drove you crazy, that you got a little bit nervous to play against? And my it came to my head right yeah. away. The first guy that came to my head was Darius Kasparagas. Without question, the craziest, like maniacal, 
hardest player to play against and most frustrating player to play against in my in my day was yeah. Darius Kasparitis by a country mile. But and I do agree with you, Riv. You know, I mean, Scott Stevens laying out Lindros like multiple times. Yep. You know, that you see a big man like that go down. That is a big tree going down watching those two men collide and but also getting being... hit by a guy who's a big tree himself like he's yeah. superhuman that's what i mean amazing you know. but it would have been interesting to see how what eric Lindros' career would have been if he had a full career you know like you know like pat lafontaine again two two iconic um extremely talented players that got cut short that even though they are still in the hall of fame i think they would have been up in the top 20 in the goal scoring easily in the history of the game. So my first All-Star game was in 1991. And on that team, I sat right next to Wayne Gretzky. Mark Messier was on, was two from me, Paul Coffey, um, Steve Eiserman. Like these are the guys that are on my team, in my locker room. And did you, you get their autographs? Oh, dude, I was too nervous to ask for their autographs. <laughs> and literally, in 1991, like five years earlier, five years earlier, Gretz invited me to breakfast in Boston as a high school kid to ask me to go play in Hull. Five years earlier, he he took me, little kid from Boston, high school kid, to breakfast, trying to convince me to go play for the Hall Olympics. And I said, no. Still, didn't work. Still didn't work, yeah. okay? Why five years late? Just because you know, I, I just I wanted to stay in high school, wanted an education. No, 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 I know no, no, if no. I went, no. Why oh. did Wayne Gretzky ask you to breakfast because to go he to wanted, play in the Quebec Major be, Junior? Did he own the team? Because he owned it. He owned the team. Oh. He owned. He owned Hull. So, so they took That's it. So, sense. so yeah. So Charlie Henry, who was the GM of Hull, said to Gretz, "Hey, you're going to Boston. Let's try to get this kid from Boston to club and play." So they invited me and I went to I went to breakfast with him. He took me in the locker room in 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 Edmonton in Boston Garden, showed me a great time. It was amazing. But I ended up saying no to to Gretz about going to play for Hall. 5 years 6 years later, I'm sitting next to him in Chicago Blackhawks locker room because it, it was home and Gretz was sitting right next to me in my first All-Star game. And it was like the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me. And remember, it was during the Gulf War. They were actually going to cancel this game because it was that big Gulf War that was happening. And I thought, man, I'm going to miss my first All-Star game in my hometown of Chicago because of this, this conflict that was going on over in Iran. But anyway, everybody in that locker room loved being in the All-Star game. Nobody said no. Nobody said, yeah, no, I'd want a break. I want to take a break. Everybody back in that day looked at the All-Star game like it was it was a, an absolute honor to be associated with the best players. And you go and you have fun. It's a fun weekend. And obviously, you don't play at your, at your pace that you that you should be playing at. It's more of a fun shinny game. Well, you but did. It was, you were it throwing was, body checks, bud. I, uh, well, listen, I, my, I was a different bird. For my whole career, that was the that was the time but, when I hated Jr. I hated yeah, Jr. Yes, yes, like, who, yes, what is this guy yes, doing like throwing that. body checks in the All Star game? And then all of a sudden, I like, now yes, I get it. I wanted, 
I don't want to do the same thing everybody else does. You got to be outside the box a little bit, outside the box. But but that's when guys had total respect for the game, respect for the history of the game. Like you asked Gretz and Mario and all them, they talked about, you know, the the Bobby Orr's and the Gordy Howes and, you know, just the Rocket Richards. They they respected so much uh, the history of the game and why they were there and why the All-Star game was important. So when you got asked to play in the All-Star game in the late 80s, early 90s, nobody said no. It was like, yes, I wanted to play in every All-Star game. I wanted to be chosen for the All-Star team. I wanted that. that How many All-Star games? Nine. And I think I should have been, and I, I should have gone, I think I should have gone to 11 or 12, but you know, that's that's beside the point. In 1991, in your first All-Star game, you said that you sat beside Wayne Gretzky, two down from Mary Lemieux, Stevie Y. These are all guys that you you know you looked up to at that young age. Um, when I came into the league in, in, in 94, 95, my first year pro, okay. Um there was there there was just uh it was just the way it was. You gave mm-hmm. respect to the guys that had been there. And yep. if you didn't give the respect, you would have a problem in the locker room. Like there would Huge be problem. a major shit show. You would have, you would understand right away that the veterans that have been there, done that. And the ones that are, are basically guiding the ship, they would yeah. put you back into line. It was like, just like, yeah. a you know, like a dog, you know, if you, the dog gets yeah. out of line, the master is going to basically put them back in, in, in order. And that's the way it was yeah. back when I came. But it's, it, but it's different. It's different ribs back then, because I still think it's like that today. I still think that players come into the teams today and they have to respect the veterans that are on that team. Like you can't tell me that players aren't coming to Boston and revering Patrice Bergeron. You can't tell me that people aren't coming into Pittsburgh and revering Sidney Crosby and Malkin, or they're coming into Chicago and not revering Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. These, and on the teams, because those are the guys that they grew up watching. So when they get on those teams, it's like, okay, they respect and 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 showed a total admiration for the players that are on that team, for the players that they've watched. But what's different is back in our day, we had a little bit more appreciation and thankfulness and understanding of the players that came before us, right? So the people that paved the way to get to where we are. And I think we honored. And if 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 a Gordy Howe came into the locker room, we'd be fucking absolutely if Bobby Hall came into the locker room, every single person would stop and get over to say hi and you know and show him appreciation. They don't do that in the game anymore. Because I do think that it's just like out of sight, out of mind. They make so much money. They're so spoiled in the way that they that they live their lives. They go into the into the locker room. They have chefs making breakfast for them and lunch, whatever they want in the locker room. They have hot tubs, cold tubs. We didn't have a hot cup and cold tub in Chicago. We had a little 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 tin tub with a with a with a boat motor. You know, when you wanted to take a cold tub or a hot tub, you know, we had, we had, I mean, granted, you talk about these old times, but what these players have today in the National Hockey League, how they're treated on a day-to-day basis, 
you know, staying in the five-star hotels. We didn't stay in five-star hotels in the beginning of the, of the 90s. We stayed in Holiday Inns and, you know, Sheraton's and all this stuff. And we we flew on commercial airlines. So I think when you get to the point now where kids are so coddled, they make so much money, it's like out of sight, out of mind. They don't think about what it was like in the past. And I, I, I just think that's a generation. It's a gen, it's a generational gap, but. Um, well, you're you going to get it, that through the generations because the, the guys that played in the eighties are looking at the players that play in the nineties and the two thousands. They think they're spoiled as all hell, all this money, the guys, the guys in the, uh, playing in the, in the eighties were making, right. we're making $70,000 to play in the NHL. Okay. Well, guys in the minors are making more than that, you know? So there's, there's, there's obviously some, some distaste, like the guys that have played in uh, year 2000 now look at the players in year 2023 and say, what a bunch of spoiled little jerk offs. But the problem is the guys that were playing in the eighties, we're looking at the guys in 2000 saying the same thing. Um, hundred percent. My only thing with this is I understand that the evolution of the game, you know, back when we're talking in 91, the, the, the league wide revenue was like four, 400, 300, $400 million. You look at now. Okay. You look at now 30 plus years later, it's it's 5 billion plus. Okay. So the salaries are going to skyrocket because the owners are making more money and everybody's happy. But what you're talking about right now is having the younger players understand that, listen, they have sacrificed a lot in their lives, every single one of them, whether they're in Russia, the Czechia, Slovak, Swede, Finn, you know, Canadian American, they've all sacrificed. But the reason why they're there making that money are the players before them. And I don't think that that should ever be um, forgotten. And I think this this era of player are making an, an extreme extreme amount of money. And by the okay? way, they deserve it. They deserve and they it. deserve it. And I and yeah, I understand. and I'm happy for them. I'm happy that yeah. the game has grown. But at the same time, I still think that they need to realize they need players like yourself, like Gretzky, like Lemieux, like all these players to walk into an all-star game and just basically sit down with the entire group of players before the weekend even starts and say, listen, you may rather be in the Bahamas laying on a beach, flying in on a private jet because you can afford to do all that. But you guys are the special chosen ones to represent this entire league. And you're doing this because of the brothers before you did the exact same thing. So mm-hmm. it gives you the it's, opportunity it's a, it's to a tradition. make it's, it's tradition. tradition, but that should be, that should be said. They should have people, iconic players come in just, just even for five minutes, 10, uh, 15 uh, minutes. The, the, the guys, guys don't give a shit. Who doesn't give a shit, Petey? Who doesn't give a shit? He just told you in 1991, it was an absolute honor to be there. And every single guy wanted to be there. I'm saying they don't give a shit anymore. Because it's because you've allowed things to slip. You know where I think it started? And the players. You know know, know where I think it started? You know where I think it started? It started in the Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby era. 
that's when the the NHL All Star picks almost started to become um, a pain, um, a, a nuisance, right? Because those are usually the two guys when they got picked to the All Star game. Was are they going to go? Right? Are they going to come up with an injury at the last minute? Um, well, Detroit was doing it too. Remember Dotsuk, Zetterberg, Lidstrom, they all that one year, I think the all-star game was in Montreal and none of them went, you know, Crosby. Yeah, the it's the same, it's the same, it's the same era. Same era. Same yes. Same era. same era. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and that's what I was just saying to you too. I said, you know, when it started, it's like, it's like almost like these kids in the league now don't even realize there was an NHL before 2005, you know, like 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. And, you know, it, it, if you get picked, if you get picked for an All Star game, unless you're hurt, you get your ass to that fucking game and represent your team. Especially now, because there's fewer players that go to All Star games now because of the the new, you know, the new setup. Right? There's only nine skaters, or you know, and a couple. I hate the new setup. Players. I hate the new setup. It's just to have one player from every single team right in that is a joke. Okay. Because there's some teams in this league that you could, you could have four guys off the team being an all-star game. Mm -hmm. You think I want to sit there and watch Josh Morrissey and listen, don't get me wrong, man. Don't get me wrong. The haters stop for a second. Josh Morrissey is a great defenseman. He's second right now in defenseman scoring. He's had a terrific season, but let me tell you, I don't want to watch Josh Morrissey. I'm just, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to watch, um, uh, Kevin Hayes from the Philadelphia freaking Flyers. I don't want to watch Brock Nelson. Really? He's an all-star? <laughs> Give me a freaking break. Like, I want to watch. I want to watch the most charismatic elite stars of the game. And that's that's what I'm looking for. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I think that's that could be one of the reasons why the NHL um, has lost its luster at the all-star game has lost its luster because of the rules that they have kind of put in because every team has to be, has to be um, associated or represented. And there are some players that aren't there that should be there. Then people are like, Oh, it's not really an all-star game. It's just a, it's a popularity game. There's like, I mean, we could go through the league and just name like literally 15 more players that I would like to see there that would make it interesting, more interesting. And I understand every single one of these men, okay, have been chosen from their team for a reason because they're playing very well. Could you, could you but, imagine that, Riff? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine just taking the top 15 players from the East against the top 15 players from the West and have them play in a fucking game? And you have to play. Right, so you just think of those players: McDavid, McKinnon, um, um, Randy, Dreisaitl. That's Dreisaitl. one line right there. Okay, go put the big boys from the East together and and start to match up the shit. I mean, oh my God! I mean, it'd it would sick. be it'd, it'd be, be insane. It'd be, sick. it'd be sick. That's what I would do. That's what I would do if I was if I was the if I was Gary Bettman. I would I would make the top. 20 best players on each side and if you don't go injury and in, not included you're getting fined and fuck all this representation of every team what are you, you gonna get fined 10 grand no you're gonna find you're gonna no, you're gonna find no, a guy you're, 10 you're, grand no, you're, who you're makes find, find, four hundred thousand dollars every two weeks no you're gonna find him a hundred grand 
for not going to the All Star game if you get picked. You get it, unless you're unless you're injured and you get you get like you're going to school, you get a signed pass from the doctor. You're fucking going. Well, didn't didn't, yeah, no, didn't Ovechkin at some point a couple years ago, yep. five six years ago? Yeah, you know he was yeah. a little he was a little banged up. He said a little sore, so he didn't want to go to the All Star game. Yeah. I get it. He went to yeah. like ten in a row. Yeah, you know, Crosby like he, too. Crosby did too. Crosby did too. Um, but you know, also when if you do that, the NHL the NHL could benefit with they can make so much more money on that all-star game that if they did it that way, rather than the way that they're doing it now, could you imagine? I mean, there's so the many all-star, the all-star there. weekend sucks. I'm sorry. It's for, it just, it's absolutely, it's a ridiculous event. And I think it needs to be changed and tweaked and made to be more hockey related than it is. Well, it I just will, turned into listen, a clown show. I will, I will say, you know, it got to be, it got to be so boring in the early 2000s, okay, where guys literally just, just just barely just barely put their skates on and went out and did did anything in the game. Then the NHL tried to make it more interesting. They 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 inf- they influxed the three on three. They added a tournament like aspect. They added money to the pot, which obviously inspires everybody. It's a million bucks if you win the thing. So I, I mean, I, I applaud the National Hockey League for trying to make it more appealing to the to the fan to watch, but it's 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 just not. I mean, it's not it's not hockey. You know, it's not hockey. I, you know, how about this? Like, do you like the idea of of I like the skills competition? Okay, let, let me get something straight. The last twenty years, I've watched like three three All Star games. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm but let me, let me let me let me yeah, but let me tell you this. But you my don't kids, do, you don't, I you wanted, don't do skills I, competitions with guys shooting pucks from the bleachers into these stupid. That you, thank like, you, absolutely or, ridiculous. Or in the goddamn go water back. fountain at the fucking Mirage Hotel. Just Dumb, go back like, to the very simple. People loved the fastest skater. Okay. Yep. People mm-hmm. loved the uh, what is it? Six pucks, the, I think it was, Jr. The, or five pucks. The, the accuracy shooting. The accuracy. They had, com- you know, Right there, yeah. the, it, it was beautiful, man. Watching, mm-hmm. you know, Ray Bork won it one year. Jeremy Roenick won won it one year. Like everybody, that was just a fun, fun thing for these mm-hmm. these young kids to watch. And then you have, you know, your relay, okay, and then call it a day. Just like get yeah. get off the ice, boom, shakalaka, make it. Because I'm going to tell you, my kids, my boys, my boys like it. My boys like watching it. Okay. They like mm-hmm. watching the all-star, the all-star skills competition. They think it's, they think it's awesome. Okay. And for me, I would, I would break up the all-star game. I would break up the all-star game into two different games. One game would be with the young guns, guys that are 18 to 22, and you can pick uh, 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 you know, nine guys. I think they, I did. I think they did that a bunch of years ago. Yeah, okay. They, they, they and, and listen, man, I mean, yeah. the 18 to 22 year olds, they've got so much piss and vinegar. They literally want to fire things up and dangle. And, you know, you put your, you put your, uh, dangle, a uh, dangle guy from, uh, Air, um, Anaheim there, uh, Trevor Zegris and, and you get all these young bucks and you just throw them in there. 
You know, you need six forwards, three D, a goaltender on one side. You do the same thing on the other and you just make two teams. They go out, they play like maybe two periods of hockey, maybe, maybe even a period and a half of hockey of three on three, send the young bucks off, bring on the all-stars. Like I don't want to go to an all-star game and watch Maddie Beneers from Seattle Kraken. Okay. He hasn't earned anything yet. The guy has done, he's great young player, great young player. I don't want to watch him. He's not an all-star to me. He's just a really good young player right now. There's guys in this league that I want to see. I want to see Austin Matthews. Leon Dreisaitl's not there. I want to see guys like that. I want to see uh, Patrice Bergeron. I know, Patrice, I know you're like 100 years old, but you're still an absolute rock star. And your team's in first place. And you're literally one of the greatest sellers of the NHL. I want you at yep. the all-star game because you might not be in this league very much longer. I want to see you. That's yep. what I want. Yeah. No, it's, it's, there's so many, there's so many things that the, that the national hockey league could institute could, that could make the players do what they should be doing to make it more interesting, more fan friendly, um, more favorable on television. But the NHL wants to control everything. They want to control your life. They want to control what you say. They want to control what you do. They want to control how you act. They want to control, you know, everything in your life, but they don't want to control the aspects that make the game better, like making people go to the all-star game, making sure that they, that they do certain things to, uh, to appease the fans. I'll tell you the one that bothered me. It's even on all-star game conversations and it kind of blew up in their face and I'm, I'm glad it did, but it could have been awful. And it was embarrassing for the player at, at, at a certain moment because uh, the league tried to shut it down, but it was when they, you know, there was the fan vote for the all-star game and they, they got everybody to rally around and vote for John Scott because they were, you know, they were making fun of him. Dude, I took, I took, I took the biggest heat of anyone for that for that whole debacle because i was the one that was like the fuck are we doing here like what what is this what is this this whole fucking league turning out to be you know and yeah i don't know in regard to what to the john the, to the john scott um you know the, the with the players that the the fans voting for john scott to get into the all-star game you you didn't like that I didn't like it. I didn't well, like why, it, but why, it blew up in their face. It blew up in their face. But at the listen, same time, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna preface. He had this, no okay? he had no business being there. Let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. John Scott, first of all, is a is a is a great guy. Okay, you ask any player that played with him, they'll say he's such a good guy. He's he's battled to make the make the league against all odds to be in the league, and. You know, he was very, very likable, which is why he got picked by the fans. And when he got there, he played, he played well. And he, he used, he used an all-star game where guys really weren't, you know, working too hard and doing a lot. And he was at the right place at the right time. And they gave him the MVP because whether it was, you know, it was a Whatever. feel good story. It was it was a feel good story. It was they fucking carried they carried him it off was, the ice like it was in Rudy. Yeah, it's listen. It it was 
I'm I'm not taking away from from John Scott that he was a professional hockey player and he made it and it was hard to do and his job was hard. But come on, guys. I mean, seriously, his he was a fighter. He was not a, he was not a talented goal scorer. He was not an all star. He did and score in the all star game, Jr. I just told you. He just I just played with some you. good players. That's what it's all I just about. Told the you. Tough guys. I just told all they, they want to talk about. He took advantage. He took advantage of a situation that he has never been able to be in before, playing with the best players in the world, and that were feeding him pucks. And all he had to do is go to the net, and he and he scored some goals, and he, you know, he 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 produced, and the fans loved it. Granted, yes, it was a great story. It was great for the league. It was great feel good story, but it's not reality. All start. It's not reality, and I'm sorry. We respect and love our fighters. They get more respect than anybody in the locker room because of what they do. It's the hardest job in the game, and it's the least amount of of, of attention to do a job that they have to do. Petey, what you had to do and your job, I would I wouldn't want it and for the life of me, and I respect every ounce of minute that you had to but, do it. But I didn't belong to the All Star game. <laughs> But if you, you if you made the if, if you made the all star game, I I I would tell you in the locker room. I'm like Petey. I don't know what the fuck you're doing here. I, I you know I, what, I, I, would, I wouldn't have I couldn't have gone if that were if that were. I remember there was something going on back when we were playing and Rory Fitzpatrick was playing in Vancouver and there was a vote for Rory campaign going on and he almost got in. He almost he may have even I can't remember how the vote went, but it was a vote for Rory and all the players were behind it. And I think he got a ton of votes. I can't remember if he made it in, and if he did, he didn't go. But well, again, that's this is the problem. Like, is it an all star game or is it a popularity contest? And well, that this, this 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 thing made it a clown show. Like the whole the whole you know John Scott thing. I watched that all star game because of John Scott going to the all star game. I never would have watched it otherwise. So it was successful. Um, to to lure someone like me, hundred percent. But at 100%. the same time, way, it's a, way, it was I, a fucking mockery. It, I I love John. I I've met John. I know John. But but I th- I think it was a fucking mockery that that listen, he was I, there. I was against it. I was against it. I was a member. I was on NBC. Okay, and I was doing that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that word. I was working for that other network. Um, and I was very vocal about how big of a joke it was and i interviewed him after the game and i literally ate crow because i realized at the time that it was a great thing for the league it was a good feel good story and john actually went and played good hockey probably probably the best hockey he's ever played at that all-star game and you know what it was it was a good story at the time now and I said, John, you know, it's, it's, you know, and he, he kind of gave me the ribbing in the interview after, but in, in hindsight and in for and seeing it before that, that should never happen. It just shouldn't happen for an all-star game. Um, no, now, I'm, I'm glad the be- end result, because I do believe it started off with uh, almost like a, it was a bully, bully campaign. And and then it ended up with this feel good story, but at the same time, it was still like everything that went on in between, and that he got traded, he got traded, 
uh, right before I think uh, to to I think he went from Arizona to Montreal or something, and he was in the minors or uh, it was like they tried to to bury yeah. him. And the more yeah. they tried to prevent it from happening, the more you wanted to see it, but it just it 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 didn't it didn't feel right. Just didn't feel right. No. no. So. Well, listen, it, listen. If it was right, it would have happened again and again and again and again, and it hasn't happened since because. It would have. It's. It would have just not the only been thing right. I can, the only right. thing I can say about the John Scott thing is, it just kind of like showed the defaults in the in the NHL and how they were picking this, and it became a mockery. And John Scott is the one that got thrown under the bus for this. But he showed up to the All-Star game after they somehow behind the scenes tried to get him to not go, if you remember that, right? Mm -hmm. He shows up. It's literally one of the one of the three, JR, in the last 20, 25 years that I've I've sat down and watched. And I watched solely because of him. And when I watched the uh the skills competition, when I watched John Scott, who's six foot eight towering over all these you know superstar hockey players and having fun with them i had a smile on my face watching the skills competition watching john scott i think do the, why do the hardest shot competition why, why do you feel do you feel bad for him no nope, no nope, I, I i didn't feel bad for him i felt i felt did you feel bad for him before he got there like this is almost like a it's a chair yeah, i i this is no because this is, it was this is it it was trying to is, embarrass a really bad player in the league is what it was like. Yeah, I don't. I, I I totally I totally disagree with you. I think I think it became a campaign where you allow the fans to to choose the player to go. Understood, and, but it was because it was a mockery. They were making fun of John Scott. It wasn't because John Scott deserved to be there, or you know, I think they were making fun of him. John Scott was a bigger or man, they're, or they're making or they're making fun of the process with the league. Yeah, well, I exactly. think they were doing they were doing that, but using John Scott exactly. as the as so that's, the that's as why the, I didn't feel bad for John Scott because I think John Scott understood that he knows his role. He's a great team player. He's a great person, but it it was when it was when the league didn't want him to go there behind the scenes. They did not want him to go there. Yeah, and he to, didn't want the league didn't by want the way, him by to the way. embarrass his kids. By the way, which the league should have tried to keep him from going, because to keep the reputation of an all-star game, they should have protected. Now, however, they are also they were the victims of their own system, right? Which yep. you, you can't. Sorry, NHL, this is what you guys want to do, so these things can happen. And you know what? Good for John Scott for going. And representing himself, it was one of the most exciting All Star games that I've watched no, that's in not, that, twenty that's not years. True. That's not that true. is no, that's absolutely not true. true. No, it's not watching true. this it's man play the game it and was, rip. I was, there, Riv. I was, it was not it even was not close to game. one of the most exciting. It was not, exciting, a, it was not if, an exciting if, game. If, if it weren't for him and his storyline, that that would have been maybe one of the worst All Star weekends in the history of the All Star. But it was a storyline. That's the whole point. Yeah, but it was an exciting game. None of them are exciting, Jr. Uh, that's okay, not true. Some of them have been exciting over the years. Game. 
I watched it, it and I thought it game. was exciting because of the element of John Scott. It was a feel good story. Everybody likes watching a feel good story. You watch fucking movies that make you cry. You watch movies that are Rudy. not exciting, but you, Rudy. but you get it and you get to the end and there's not <laughs> a lot of action going on, but you know what? You end up at the end of the movie and be like, God, that was fucking a great movie. But really it was more, it was more the, the, the screenplay, the script, the actors that were in it, not the action that was going on in the movie, but it was how they portrayed it. Yes. Now that, and that was what, exciting to me. That was, uh, that was what that all-star game was. And yep. I think, well, was it, was it gratifying or was it exciting? <laughs> I think, I, I think I will say it's a bit of both. It was very gratifying. I was worried for John Scott. I didn't want him to, um, I, I wanted him to do well. I really did. I just wanted him to look because I, this is my do thought. Think, do, do you think this you is think my thought, Jay, or just hold do, on. No, do you think, do you think, do you think he embarrassed himself? Um, I do not. I do not. Whatsoever. I do not either. I because do not I, I so want either. you to understand. I, I have a, I have a buddy that I played with and um, he, he's an incredible person off the ice. He was an, he was the ultimate teammate. Um, and he under, minds his his uh career every time he talks about his career because he was in a position that he was a role player on his team and he valued his role as being like garbage but knowing deep down inside that he was a really good hockey player but just was never given an opportunity okay and i wanted people to see how good these role players are that literally when they were kids were fucking shredding things. Okay. That were unbelievable players when they were growing up, but when they got to the NHL, they got put on ro in roles, which a lot of us do. And it was a role that a lot of those guys just don't like doing, but they they're doing it. Okay. And I wanted people to see how good some of these role players are. These guys that we call fighters and goons, they're really good hockey players. And I watched John Scott make some plays, make some saucer passes, rip a shot bar down. And, and, and you kind of get the, the, you know, the realization that, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's not, he's not terrible. Hey, Riv, Riv, I love you. And I respect the hell out of John Scott and what he did and how he, how he presented himself and how he represented himself and everything like that. But I'm sorry, John Scott is not a good hockey player. He is tough as nails. He is a great teammate, for sure, a great teammate, and probably one of the most you know respected guys in his team because of what he does. But buddy, he's not a good hockey player. Come on, not as NHL players go. Now, I'm who sorry. was the teammate you were talking about, Riv? You know, buddy. Who was it? Andy Peters. Oh fuck! No, sits he there was a good hockey player. on himself like no, you wouldn't he believe, was, man. He was a good hockey player. <laughs> so listen, if hey, listen, they should put a part and they should put an, a, a part in the NHL All Star Game that's that's made for plumbers, third and fourth line guys. And you know what? During during the skills competition, they should have a shot blocking contest where guys go out and whoever can block the most shots, okay, and go around and hit high each flipper, other. Whoever. High flipper, soft dunks. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Chip chip off the boards. Chip All off right. the boards. Now going right. next in the soft dump challenge, we have Zemgus Gergensons from the Buffalo Sabres. 
see, see who can see who can get from the defense, the offensive zone back to their defensive position in the fastest time. Not the what? fastest skater. We're now going to go to the left hand shot, left winger, backhand chip off the boards from, from your own zone. We call this the million dollar flipper, yeah. but it's actually yeah. the league yeah. minimum flipper, which is yeah. seven hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, and we're gonna get, and we're gonna make, we're gonna do a defensive all star, uh, all star skills competition of a defenseman that could throw the puck from behind the net and hit somebody, hit the player on the far blue line on the stick so they can chip it into the and if you miss then you're then you're out how many guys can hit that stick it would be a time challenge it would be they pull the puck from behind the net snap it cross ice they'd have to hit a target all the way way to the far blue line to where the forward standing and if the forward guy can tip the puck into the zone then they get a point you know what jr you know what this is your last two minutes you're fucking just an all-star jerk off man I you am, know I'm what? Fucking, fucking putting I down am. all the guys that literally had your back all those years. Now you're going to sit there and no, take a big not, crap no, on their chest. I'm not. I'm not putting it down. But you by the way, you are. But, five but you are. No, but you are. You are right. I am an all star snob. I don't care. I like <laughs> tradition. I do. I. I like. I. If it's an all star game, it's an all star game. If it's not an all star game, don't call it an all star game. And if you want to, if you if you want to honor all the guys that are the guys that are the glue guys. Right, the guys that you can't win championships without, like the ones that you're talking about, and the guys that we respect the most, right? Then let's not call it an all-star game. Let's call it the most Im- most important people's game. The glue guy, the glue guy challenge. <laughs> the glue guy game. It's the glue guy game. It's the glue guy game. G cubed. Listen, I'm not I'm not demeaning the the, the importance of the third line player because. You do not win championships without the glue guys. I don't care how many great players that you are that you have. I get it. But it's not all-stars. That's if you want to have a certain competition for those guys, do it. But you oh. can't you can't put them together. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. I, I, am I am I an asshole for saying that? Maybe. You you are but definitely not, an asshole right now. <laughs> but hey. Hey Riff, how many all-star games did you play in? Zero. That's exactly Zero. why you're calling me an And asshole. guess that's what? Why, you know exactly how many All-Star games I've watched? Because I don't want to watch you guys. You're boring as shit, man. See? Because, see, you Personality a, sucks. You, you have a... you have, See? That's exactly why. You're, you're, that's exactly why you're saying this right now. Because you, you fuck those fucking star guys. Fuck them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, Riv, didn't, didn't you Riv, get into the Riv, OHL the way, All-Star game? By the way. I got into the American League All-Star hey, game. I was in the starting hey, lineup, man. Hey. Listen, listen, and I'm going to end it at this. You were the one of the best team guys of all time, one of the oh, best God. leaders. Don't even start. Don't even start. You not, just ripped us lying. all. You just ripped me and Petey for five minutes, man. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. When it comes to a team, when it comes to a team, in that locker room, not many people are better than you. They're not. Period. Here, Riv, I you put you at the all-team dinner yeah. table. Listen, <laughs> hey, listen. I as if we're in the locker room, I'm hanging out with you every night, bud. I'm going to dinner with you every night. I'm hugging, kissing you every night, and respect you every night. But if you're gonna tell me we're we're gonna go to the All Star game, <laughs> I, I it's it's I listen. I love every fucking aspect of it. But there's times where I didn't deserve to be at the All Star game because I sucked, and that's why I wasn't there. 
So just say it. You can, you can hate the system all you want, but it's been a good conversation. Great conversation. I fucking love you guys. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. You can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.